What's up, everybody? Greetings and salutations. ESK back on Keyboard Nora into the weekly routine. One question for every fight for UFC London. Wednesday, July 19th. This fight card is coming up on Saturday. It is, as always, when the UFC goes to London, an action-packed card. A lineup heavy on British fighters, heavy on fighters from the UK, surrounding nations, but a very entertaining and exciting fight card. We're going to dive right into it. Main event, Tom Aspinall returns against Marcin Tybura. And my question is, how will Aspinall respond to being away for a year? So last time we saw him was last July in a matchup with Curtis Blades. It lasted 15 seconds. Aspinall blew out his knee, has been sidelined ever since. As a dynamic athlete, and Tom Aspinall, my opinion, a dynamic athlete, it's always a question for me of how these men or women are going to return. Will there be hesitation? Will, will there be nervousness and anxiousness about putting certain types of pressure, certain, certain strains on whatever the injury was? Obviously, you assume that going through training camp being away for a year, they've gone through and gotten some of that stuff out of the way. But as we talk about all the time, there's a difference between in the gym with people that are taking care of you know to look after you, aren't trying to hurt you, and being out there live. And it's not that Marcin Tybura is necessarily going to go out there and target the knee or look to hurt Tom Aspinall in any way. I don't think any of these men or women step into the octagon with the intention of, I want to hurt that person in a like long-term gruesome physical way. But it's still one of those things of like, now we're live. Now this guy isn't going to go light on me. This guy isn't going to go easy on me. He wants to win as badly as I do. So what is it going to look like? Depending on who you are, ring rust is or isn't a real thing. To me, it's not necessarily a specific thing that everyone deals with. But I do think there is something to having your rhythm and your timing and your range management and all of those things really dialed in. And I think that comes with being active, competing regularly. Now for Aspinall, it's sort of a, an extra weird situation because it's not like any of his fights have been giving him loads of time inside the octagon. Prior to the fight with Curtis Blades, he ran through Alexander Volkov in March in London. And before that, the longest he went was like a minute into the second round with Andre Arlovsky. The dude has absolutely been killing it. And that's why seeing that injury last year was so unfortunate. It's why I'm really happy to see him come back in a fight like this against a talented veteran fighter like Tybura without actually being thrown all the way into the deep end of the division. Very much in terms of results and record and performance deserves to be in that contender conversation. But I'm happy to see the UFC do the like, Let's get him back in there. Let's let him get a fight, see how good he is, see where he's at in his recovery, in his progression, in his development. And if it looks great, then he's right back in the championship mix. Heavyweight is interesting right now. We finally got John Jones and Stipe Miocic announced. Sergey Pavlovich is waiting in the wings. Obviously, Cyril Gunn and Sergey Spivak are going to fight in Paris later this fall. Aspinall can be right back in that mix. JL10 Almeida. He's going to fight Curtis Blades. He's on the way up. So things are starting to get interesting, and I think they're going to continue to be interesting for the rest of this year and heading into next year. 
Co-main event, Molly McCann takes on Yulia Stoliarenko. And my question is, can Meatball bounce back? This is one I'm really fascinated in, and I'm looking forward to seeing all of the sort of interviews and video content that's produced by the UFC digital team, reading the feature on Molly, whoever wrote that, because as a massive fan favorite and someone that has really benefited from these cards in London over the last couple of years, she comes into this one off a bad performance, off a bad loss to Aaron Blanchfield last year at Madison Square Garden, all of which going into it, it's set up really well for her, right? In terms of the popularity and the build and all of those things. She got a bigger pop walking out at the ceremonial weigh-ins than Blanchfield did, who lives in New Jersey. Molly was the A-side of that fight in terms of popularity and fan appreciation. And then Aaron Blanchfield went out and absolutely trucked her. And so for a fighter that has admittedly struggled in the past with confidence, with focus, with believing in herself and her ability to get some of these important victories, where does she line up and how does she respond coming off an ugly loss in a fight with Yulia Stolyarenko, who to me is a really interesting opponent here. So Stolyarenko has struggled in the UFC. She is one in five overall through six appearances. She's moving down to flyweight for the first time. I know people will do the like, this is the woman that fainted badly at the weigh-ins and now she's moving down. I talked to her ahead of this fight. Everything is on point. Everything is trending in the right direction. She's been off for a number of months working towards this properly. I don't foresee any issues in terms of weight, but I'm really interested to see what Stoliarenko looks like in this division, which feels like from a physical standpoint, the right weight class for her. She is dangerous on the ground. She's a black belt under Roger Gracie. If she goes out and puts Molly McCann on the ground, how does Malls react? What happens when she gets back into that familiar position from November where things just went sideways and she couldn't get off her back and she ended up tapping out? This is an important fight for Molly McCann. She is a huge, huge fan favorite at home and abroad, quite frankly. Can she get back in the win column though? Move to featherweight. Nathaniel Wood takes on Andre Feely. And my question is what's a victory here do for Nathaniel Wood. So far at 45, he's 2-0. Wins over Charles's, Rosa, and Jordan. And is someone that looks like he fits. Harry and I and Ian had a bunch of questions when Wood made this move initially last July and was getting ready to make his debut last July because he is a little undersized, it feels like, for the division. Not the biggest guy, though he has a good reach, though he has good size, and uses it all well. But so far, he's ticked all the boxes. He's looked great, quite frankly. Looked very, very good against Charles Rosa. Looked great against Charles Jordan. It was unfortunate that he didn't get to fight Lerone Murphy back in March. That was a fight that was supposed to happen. Surprised it isn't happening here, even though both are on the card. But this matchup with Feely feels like a real litmus test. Feels like a real measuring stick fight. Feely has been in the top 15 before. He is a perfect ecosystem fighter in the second 15 in this weight class. A guy that has been in there a bunch. The record doesn't detail, doesn't show the level of fighter he is and the quality he brings to the cage. The guys that have beat him are largely top contenders and very, very good fighters. So this is a big test for Nathaniel Wood. I do think it's the kind of fight 
where if Nath goes out and looks outstanding and turns in another really impressive performance as he did in London last year, as he did in Paris in the fall, it puts him, if not in the top 15, probably facing somebody that is there. He's 30 years old. He's always been tagged as somebody that we expected to see matriculate up the rankings and get into that contender position. We thought it would be at bantamweight. His body just couldn't deal with continually making that cut. Now that he's here, the possibility is there. And a win over Andre Feely, in my opinion, is something that carries him into even bigger matchups down the road and next time out. Huge fight for Nathaniel Wood on Saturday. We'll see how he responds. Next up, Paul Craig and Andre Muniz in the middleweight division. Paul Craig dropping down for the first time. My question here is, did Muniz miss his, miss his window? So as recently as 18 months ago, under two years ago, I'll say, we were talking about Andre Muniz as a potential middleweight contender. I remember myself, Shawnee, and Ian taped a episode of The Contender that you can find on the Severe MMA Patreon page, severemma.com forward slash pints. Still the best URL in the business. Go sign up. Listen to the boys. We talked about, is this the guy that's going to win another couple fights and get into a matchup with Israel Adesonia and challenge for the title, right? My opinion then was, no, he would run into the Robert Whitaker meat grinder, run into the Robert Whitaker hurdle and not be able to clear it. But he didn't even get there because he lost to Brendan Allen last time out. He had the, we taped that episode, I believe, ahead of his fight with Uriah Hall. We thought that fight was going to look very different than it did. Uriah Hall did a very good job sort of neutralizing some of the offensive attacks on the ground from the back from Muniz. And it ended up being a tepid win that sort of cooled a lot of his momentum. Then he comes out earlier this year, gets matched up with Brendan Allen, and BA goes out and submits him. Gets a finish over the Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert. Looks great. Has continued on to have additional success. And it feels a little bit to me like this is now not necessarily make or break in the sense of if he loses, he's gone. Never something I'm going to advocate, talk about, things like that. But make or break in the sense of he's got to win this one if he's going to make a run. Andre Muniz is still only 33 years old, so there's certainly time and room and opportunity will be there at middleweight. But we've seen Drikas Duplessis move forward and move ahead of him. We've seen Brendan Allen, as I said, beat him. Sean Strickland has steadied himself. There's also guys like Nasruddin Imavov that are continuing to work and improve and try to get forward. And so it feels like just a couple, you know, not even two years after we were talking about him as a potential contender, he feels a little bit like an afterthought. And this isn't an easy fight. This is another tough matchup against a guy that can hang with him, in theory at least, in his preferred realm on the ground in Paul Craig, who normally... You look at and go, you don't want to go to the ground with him. Well, that's Andre Muniz's best path to victory. And so it's going to be real interesting to see if he can get a victory, get an impressive win, get himself moving in the right direction again, and make a run at this. Because right now it feels like that's not going to happen, and he missed his shot. Move to lightweight. Jai Herbert and Ferez Zayem. My question is, how much better has Zayem gotten since September? The young French fighter is someone that I've admittedly wasn't in on early. Didn't think he looked good in his first two fights, losses to Don Madge and I believe Jamie Malarkey. But since then, 
or no, he beat Jamie Malarkey. My, my apologies. But since then, he's he's done some things to impress me. Yes, there's the loss to Terrence McKinney. These things happen in MMA. Shout out to Harry Powell. But he's looked generally good. He looked good in Paris in September, defeating Michael Figlak, who is hyped a little bit, making his debut. He's got good length. He's got good size. And he's just one of these young fighters that it would never surprise me if nine months after his last appearance, we see a big leap. That's where we tend to get them is when fighters are in this age range of 23 through 27 and they get nine months to work on things and they have room to grow. Zayem has had that time. He has that room to grow. Are we going to see it? Jai Herbert feels like a perfect opponent for him at this point in time. A veteran guy that's coming off a majority decision, majority draw last time out in London in March against Ludovic Klein in a fight where he was docked a point in the third round that cost him a victory. Would have been back-to-back wins, would have been three out of his last four. Instead, it's a draw, and now he comes back looking to try to get back in the win column officially and is a veteran dude, right? Just a guy that has been in there, seasoned, experienced, knows how to fight, can crack a little bit, but is also hittable. He's also capable of getting knocked out, capable of getting beaten himself. And so let's see what the young French fighter has done. As he said, this is the space where a guy like ZM, if he's going to take big steps forward, we're going to see it here. These are the things we're going to see. This is where we're going to see it. Herbert is a great matchup to test some of that out and to measure some of that out against. Really looking forward to this one. Back to featherweight, Lerone Murphy, who I mentioned earlier, taking on Joshua Kulibau. And my question is, what does Murphy have to do in order to get some pub? This is a dude that is undefeated for his career. 11-0-1, 4-0-1 in the UFC, four straight victories, split decision in March against Gabriel Santos in a tough, closer-than-expected fight, but he got the job done. Murphy is one of those fighters that, unfortunately for him, he's been sidelined due to injuries, due to different stuff coming up, wasn't able to compete at all in 2021, and it just sort of slows a bunch of, or sorry, I believe 2022. And it just sort of slows the momentum. It just makes it difficult to really get on a roll and really get things building. And so the fact that he's back here for the second of two appearances in London this year is a huge positive. Sorry, I'm just fact check, fact checking my, my earlier statement. And it was 2022 that he missed all of. He's back in London. Second fight this year. That's great to see. If he can go out and get himself a good win against Koulibau, who's on a nice little run himself since returning to this division. Got a draw with Charles Jordan in his first fight at featherweight and has won everyone since. Good sub over Melsic Bagdasarian last time out. Capable, talented, dangerous fighter. If, if Murphy can go out and put up a good victory, pick up another win, continue moving that undefeated streak forward, he's somebody we should be talking about in this division as someone in that second 15 that has the upside to get into that top 50. He's the kind of guy that I look at along with Nathaniel Wood as perfect dance partners for guys like Alex Caceres, for guys like Danny Gay, Mavsari Vloyev, Sadiq Youssef, who needs to get a fight, and I need Sadiq Youssef back in my life. Get him a fight. Hope you're healthy. Hope you can compete sometime soon, Super Sadiq. These guys that are just ready to burst is what it feels like to me, ready to explode, ready to at least test themselves and show themselves 
against the better established top talent in the division. I love this fight. Same as I love the Nathaniel Wood fight. But if both emerge victorious, I want to see them in there against more established names. Because for me, I'm at the point of, I know they can and should beat these kind, this level of competition. Let me see what they do against that next tier. Let me see what they do against the slightly more experienced, the slightly more well-rounded, the slightly more dangerous guys. Featherweight has lots of those sorts. Loads of them. Let's get Murphy in there if he gets a victory. Move to the prelims. Bantamweight division, Davy Grant and Daniel Marcos. My question is, can Marcos announce himself as a player at Bantamweight? So he got a good win in his promotional debut against Simon Oliveira. That's just a win. It's a foot in the door. It's a good starting point. It is a good initial entry into your UFC career. Beating Davy Grant is a whole different ballgame, though. We know how good Davy Grant is. Something I talk about all the time, right? This is a guy that hasn't been in the top 15, hasn't been a championship contender, isn't going to get there because he's in his late 30s. But we know how good Davy Grant is. Dangerous, always capable of finishing a fight, as we saw earlier this year against Rafael Asensau. So if you can go out and beat Davy Grant and do it on British soil, that says something to me. That tells me this is someone I need to pay attention to. 30 years old, bunch of upside coming off the contender series. Huge opportunity. I know some people are going to bristle at me calling a fight with Davy Grant a huge opportunity, but you have to look at it in scale, right? For Daniel Marcos, this is quite easily the biggest fight of his career against a guy that's been in there a bunch of times in the UFC, fought some of those upper tier guys in the UFC, fought Cheeto Vera, fought Adrian Yanez, took out Rafael Asensau last time out. This is a big opportunity. And if Marcos goes out there and gets a win, we damn sure better be talking about him as someone to keep an eye on at 135 going forward. Next up, we shift to the welterweight division, Danny Roberts versus Johnny Parsons. And my question is, could this be do or die for Danny Roberts? I know I said just a minute ago that I'm never going to advocate for anybody getting cut, and I stand by that. The question here is, is this just sort of that point for a 36-year-old fighter where he's going to have to make some decisions? The UFC is likely going to have a sit and have a think about the future of Danny Roberts, depending on how this one goes. As I th said, just turned 36. Coming in on a two-fight slide, two and four in his last six, seven and six in the UFC. There's no truly meaningful wins. And I say that with all due respect to the guys that he's beaten. None of them have aged particularly well, right? This is a thing I continue to think about and I continue to look at when making my assessments of fighters is how have those victories or how have those losses developed and grown over time? In the moment, we think one thing of them but a year, two years, three years down the road, it may look different depending on who those opponents were. Unfortunately for Roberts, there's none of them that suddenly are like, oh, he beat that guy. It's just a bunch of, he got victories. The losses aren't necessarily huge ones either. They're not like close fights against really established opponents. He got smacked up by Jack Della Maddalena last time out, dropped a decision to Francisco Trinaldo before that. And so he comes into this one in a weird spot and a tough spot. 
historically speaking, these are the kinds of fights that he wins. Johnny Parsons is making his UFC debut. He hasn't competed in a couple of years since earning a contract on the Contender Series. He's 8-3 and three overall. He's 31. He's a brawler, more or less, coming out of Syndicate MMA in Las Vegas. This is the kind of fight that traditionally Danny Roberts wins. But Parsons is a banger, can crack, can catch up. And so I'm really curious to see if this is sort of one of those things where if he gets a victory, is he ready to just go out on the high at home and say, thanks, it's been great. I'm moving on to next things. If he falls short, does the UFC say, you know what? Even though we're coming to London twice a year, it's three straight losses. He's 36. It's time to go in a different direction. And then what does that do for Danny Roberts? There's a lot at stake for him, I would say, in this fight. And I'm really curious, going to be paying close attention on Saturday to see how that plays out. Lightweight matchup between Mark Jacasey and Yoel Alvarez. My question is, who is Yoel Alvarez? Now, I don't mean that in the, who the hell is this guy? Because I know, you should know, I think we all know who this man is. 30 years old, 19-3 and three overall, 4-2 and two in the UFC. Wins over Joseph Duffy, Andrei Yakovlev, Tiago Moises. Losses to Demir Ishmagulov and Armin Saryukin. That's a good slate. We know what that all means. We should know what all of that means. Joe Duffy, good fighter. Tiago Moises, just outside the top 15. Loose to Ismagulov and Saryukin. I got no problems with that. Those are great fighters. Those are very, very good fighters. The reason I ask who is Yoel Alvarez is because I want to know, is this a top 15 threat? Is he a guy that's going to live in the second 15 because he's going to struggle to make weight sometimes and he's not going to get over that hump? Can he make 55 consistently without issue? He had back-to-back -back fights, I believe, in there where he failed to make weight, though he did make it last time out against Saryukin. So this is a, let's just see where he fits. Tell me a little bit more. Show me a little bit more of who you are and where you belong in this division, Yoel Alvarez. Because he's a really interesting fighter to me. Big and tall and long for this division. Dangerous. Beat the hell out of some guys at times. Finished Joe Duffy, finished Yakovlev, good fight with Moises. Like, this is a fight where Jacasey is a, is a good bar, is a good matchup, going to give us a little understanding. Not a guy you go out and style on if you're just a guy, right? Stealing a fantasy sports term, just a guy, jag. If you're a jag, this isn't a guy you go out and, and style on. If you're somebody that's in that top 15 range, then there's the possibility. Casey's coming off a frustrating to me to watch loss to Michael Johnson last time out after a couple good wrestling heavy victories. Yoel Alvarez isn't somebody you necessarily want to tangle with on the ground, though he's dangerous on the feet as well. So this is a good matchup. This is a good chance for the Spaniard to come out, reset after that loss to Saryukin, which is a loss certainly continues to age well to tie back to Danny Roberts. And go out and just show us. Okay, I'm back. I'm here. I'm ready to move forward. Get me in here with a top 15 guy next. Because I'm ready to be there. Heavyweights, Mick Parkin and Jamal Pogues. And my question is simply, who is more ready right now? So both guys are 27. It's Parkin's debut. Sophomore appearance for Jamal Pogues. Both won on the Contender Series last year. Pogues at the start of August. Parkin two weeks later with a first-round stoppage win over current LFA heavyweight champ 
Eduardo Nevis. Both train with quality people, but they're both still a little green. They're both still a little inexperienced. Pogues has 13 fight park fights, excuse me. Parkin has six as a pro and is somebody that has struggled to get opponents. I talked to him today. We talked about that. He's one of these guys, right? That good, good amateur career, trains with very good people in Phil DeFries and Tom Aspinall, and it makes people kind of shy away. So you end up fighting weekend warriors and professional opponents, and it leads to going into that fight with Nevis last summer. A lot of us wondering, like, who is this dude? Like, he's just beating up bums. He's beating up cans, and to his credit, beat them up handily, did what you're supposed to do, goes out there, stomps on all of them. It's the right thing to do, but it's hard to rate somebody from that. And so as I look at this fight, and it's two 27-year-olds in the heavyweight division, which means theoretically they could each have somewhere like 13, 14, 15 years left in this division if they wanted to fight into their 40s. So let's just see who's ready now. Let's just see who's more poised to build a little bit here. We're constantly looking for new names, for new talent, for fresh fighters to move forward in the heavyweight division. Here are two guys south of 30 that show a little bit of upside, right? Jamal Pogues was a big prospect prior to moving up to heavyweight. Still a good prospect now that he's here. Parkin's a bit more of an unknown, a bit more of a question mark, but you don't train with Tom Aspinall and Phil DeFries and not get good, I don't think, but we'll find out on Saturday. Really curious to see how this one plays out. I love heavyweight prospect fights, even if they're guys that aren't going to pan out to be championship contenders. Let's just see. Let's find out. You never know. They've got more than a decade before their careers are going to end, most likely. Move to middleweight. Mahmoud Muradov versus Brian Barbarina. And my question centers around that move that, that made me say that with surprise. What will Bam Bam look like at middleweight? Obviously, Bam is somebody that I've talked to throughout my career, talked to him again prior to this one. That piece is up now on the UFC website. I just tweeted it out before jumping in here. When we talked about it, he said all the things that I expect, right? Getting a little older, so the cut is harder. Injuries, health, age, all of those things contribute to, you know what, let's just go up. Instead of not crushing my body, but struggling with and having to be really clear and clean about diet and exercise and getting my body right to fight at welterweight, let's just go up and see what middleweight looks like. I get it, but I'm very curious to see it because 70 to 85 is a big jump and it feels at times like it's, it's different to me when you're going from, say, featherweight to lightweight, right? 10 pounds, usually not that huge of a difference in terms of body size and physicality and strength and stuff like that. 70 to 80 or 70 to 85, excuse me, you can often get guys at 85 that probably should compete at 205. And then you're looking at an even wider gap. I think stylistically, in terms of his toughness, his grit, his griminess, there are opportunities for Bam Bam at middleweight. He's a guy that can go out, especially in fights like this, right? Mid-pack matchups like this against a guy like Muradov. He can go out and just be sandpaper, just be gritty. Get in there, work from the clinch, land some elbows, grind on dudes and see what happens. But it could also be a case where now he's just kind of a tweener. He's just kind of stuck in no man's land 
as a 36-year-old that wants to continue competing, doesn't want to beat the hell out of his body making it to 170. And so he goes up, but these guys are just bigger. On the tail of the tape, in terms of the measurables, Murdov isn't that much bigger than Brian Barbarina. So it is a good matchup. It is a good initial test. Good measuring stick opportunity. Want to see how my guy looks at 85? This fight will tell us a little bit more about what the future may hold for Bam Bam going forward in the middleweight division. We shift to bantamweight, Ketlin Vieira and Panny Kianzad. My question is, which bantamweight moves forward in the rankings? So Vieira enters at number four, Kianzad at number seven. The division is absolutely wide open at the moment. Myra Bueno Silva picked up a tremendous victory on Saturday. Second round submission went over Holly Holm. She called out Juliana Pena or responded to Juliana Pena by saying, look, I'll smash you. We've got Raquel Pennington in the mix, who is tethered to both of these fighters, having fought them very recently. Vieira coming off a loss to Rocky. Kianzad having rebounded from her loss to Rocky with a win over Lena Landsberg last time out. This is one that, like, it's way under the radar. It's not being discussed. I know rankings are kind of misleading at times, and this is one of those fights where people will probably argue, yeah, they're ranked, but... I mean, if you got to throw a butt in there, you're, you're, you're missing something. You're changing up the actual conversation. This is two top 10 fighters. Regardless of how shallow the division is, regardless of the quality of the division or your opinion of the quality of the division, the winner of this one is in the championship mix at bantamweight, especially if they have a dominant performance. Now, I don't think that the winner is going on to get a championship opportunity next, because there have been some losses recently to Raquel Pennington, who hasn't gotten her shot yet and should be in that conversation along with Pena, along with Bueno Silva. But the winner's not far off. The winner of this one gets whoever is left out of that championship fight. That would be, if I'm in charge of the book, if I'm, if I'm deciding matchups, feel free to take this one and run with it, Sean Shelby McMaynard. Whatever you book is the, the next title fight, Juliana Pena versus whomever, whichever of Pennington and Bueno Silva isn't in that title fight, will fight and should fight the winner of this one. That's where we're at. And I understand it's not a sexy matchup. It's not a sexy division at the moment. It's probably the least appealing division in the UFC right now, just in terms of depth of talent and quality of talent. But it's still a fight that carries a great deal of significance. This is where all those criticisms of, yeah, there's none of these fights that matter though. They're just fights. Well, here's one that matters. Pay attention, be excited, make sure you watch this one because two fights from now, the winner of this one could be fighting for UFC gold. And if they are, I don't want to hear, well, how did they get here? How is this person fighting for it? This is how, this is how this stuff happens. going to move on. Let don't continue to be all fired up and riled up. We move to lightweight. Chris Duncan versus Yanel Ashmuz. And my question is, what can Ashmuz do for an encore? So he had a huge KO win over Sam Patterson in his debut. And he gets another Dana White Contender Series alum here in the form of Scotland's Chris Duncan. Duncan is the kind of guy you can pull into a brawl. Both of his Contender Series appearances, both his loss to Slava Borshev and his win over Charlie Campbell, I believe, were brawls. They were fights where both guys were just 
going to quote Ian O'Neill, hell for leather. First time, Duncan got caught. Second time, Duncan did the catching. He showed a willingness to wrestle last time out against Omar Morales in March at UFC 286 in this same venue. But Ashmoo showed in his fight with Sam Patterson that same evening that he can crack, and it just takes one. 7-0, six finishes, only 27 years old. Feels like an absolute wild card, like just a stick of dynamite in this division. I am so interested to see what this guy can do. As I have in my notes here, he feels like an unknown commodity because he hasn't really faced a ton of name brand op opponents thus far. We don't, he hasn't been in there for very long because he's finishing fools all the time and in impressive fashion as he did in his debut. So what are we going to learn here? What are we going to, what are we going to find out? What can he do? What can he bring to the table? If you go out and spark Chris Duncan and move to two and zero in the UFC with a pair of big stoppage wins, I'm in. You then get a five year. It becomes the Joshua Van thing, right? You now have me for five years or until I can decide I know who this guy is. I know where he tops out. Let's see it. Fired up for this one. Second last fight on the card. Second fight of the day as we start. 6 a.m. start time out here on Saturday. Love it. Gonna do, as I told McParkin, gonna do a full English with the fights on Saturday. As I recap, eggs, beans, fried potatoes, bacon, maybe some sausage. Let's go. Shauna Bannon makes her debut against Bruna Brazil. And my question is, what's reasonable to expect from Mama B in this one? Obviously, being close with the Severe Boys, having been a Severe MMA, being a Severe MMA alum, I know a little bit about Shauna Bannon. Heard the name plenty of times. Heard lots of talk about her. Ian O'Neill has done a bunch of outstanding interviews with her. Go check out the Severe MMA YouTube page for those. She's 29 years old. She's been a pro for 15 months. And she's 5-0. And she's now set to compete on the biggest stage in the sport. It's a tremendous accomplishment. She's a good striker, kickboxer back in the day prior to transitioning into MMA. She's done a good job to round out her game and learn the jujitsu and develop a grappling game under Patty Houlihan. But she's still a little bit inexperienced, right? Five fights in, it's hard to really know and hard to really make a true assessment of how good someone is. Despite... Very good amateur career, 5-0 and as an amateur as well, despite the kickboxing success that she had. We're now getting to the big stage, and we're going to find out a bunch of stuff. She's going to get a push. She's clearly getting a push. There are huge expectations from the Irish set. And I just want to see where she fits, both now in this fight with Brazil that is going to give us a little bit of an indication of where she lands initially to start in the strawweight division, but also going forward, Bruno Brazil had a good win on the contender series, or great win, I should say, on the contender series last fall, knocking out Marnik Mann with a head kick, but then walked into her fight with Denise Gomes in her debut and got waxed. Just got lit up by the young Brazilian who looks like the real deal now, having just recently settled Yasmin Haragui as well. And so it's a good measuring stick, right? You have that result for Bruno Brazil in her debut. So you know she's capable of getting beaten if you are a quality young prospect, a quality ascendant hopeful in the division. So the Denise Gomes result is sort of the bar. And we're going to find out. We're going to wait and see on Saturday where Shauna Bannon comes in in relation to that. 
and then make an assessment, try to figure out where she fits, where her, her top side, where her ceiling may rest in this division going forward. Saturday's opener, flyweight division, Jafel Filo versus Danny Berez. And my question is, can Berez make an instant impact? So he's 34 years old, Dana White contender series contestant. He dropped a split decision to Carlos Hernandez two seasons back. 4-0 since then, trains at the Entrum Gym in Tijuana, mixes in trips to Tiger Muay Thai, does some training in Spain as well. One of the most recent pictures on his Instagram is a picture of himself and Yoel Alvarez, essentially him saying like, making my debut alongside this dude in the UFC. Like, let's go. This is great. He's a finisher. He's powerful for a flyweight, something you don't always see. And this matchup with Philo, kind of similar to the Sean Abandon thing against Bruno Brazil, but in a slightly different way, is another good measuring stick. Because Philo had a competitive fight with Muhammad Makayev last time out. Had him in dire straits in that knee bar that I still don't know how Makayev didn't tap, how his knee isn't shredded how he's already back booked to compete in October. And he kind of maybe sort of quit after not finishing that and, and getting a little bit of a neck crank put on him. But fine, we saw what he can do against a guy that is heralded as maybe the best prospect ever coming into the UFC and somebody that is already, despite the results not being as dynamic and as impressive as one would hope for, given all the hype, but somebody that's already worked their way into the top 15. Somebody that's got a matchup with Tim Elliott on deck next. That's showing and, and delivering on all the promise. So this is a chance for Berez to go out and potentially better Mokayev's time against Jafel Filo. It's sort of the way I'm looking at it. I'm thinking about it. You go out there and you get a second round stoppage, a first round stoppage over this guy. You can turn around and be like, okay, so your boy did it and needed three rounds. Almost went the distance with this dude. Got put in bad positions. Had to struggle. Had to do whatever. And here I am crushing it. That's an opportunity. I hope Danny Berez has thought about those things. I hope his management team has put those thoughts in his ear going into Saturday. Because you can get a win here and try to push for something bigger. There's not a ton of depth at flyweight. And at 34, there's no time for sitting around and being like, I'll take whoever the UFC gives me. You go out and make a statement on Saturday, call out somebody in the top 15. Call out one of these established names that gets you rolling and gets you potentially moving forward even faster. Really looking forward to this one. Liked Berez's appearance on the Contender Series. Been impressed with him since. I think it's a great matchup, a great opportunity. Great way to start a Saturday morning of fights. Love Saturday morning fight cards. These are the best. Love being back here today after the week off. It was good to recharge, but it's good to be home. It's good to be back. As always, check out Keyboard Kimura. Sign up. You can subscribe for free for five bucks a month for 50 bucks for the year. I put up the podcast on Monday behind the paywall. Going to start doing that more and more. Got to reward the folks that are contributing. Not that I don't love all of you free subscribers, but I want to make sure that the folks that are putting a little bit of money in my pocket that are contributing to the further de development and improvement of my situation and my website, get a little something extra every week from me for their patronage. So please, if you want to, it's five bucks a month. You save 10 bucks if you sign up for the year, it's 50 bucks for the year. And then you get everything straight to your inbox the minute I hit publish. Put out something this morning, put out a podcast this morning with my guy, Antoine Jackson. 
from Walk MMA, making the Walk MMA, I should say. Walk underscore MMA on Twitter. Shouts to, shouts to Antoine. So that's out there. This will be out there. Already recorded next week's A Conversation With. Really excited about that. Back tomorrow with 10 things. Double dip on Friday, as always. Check out the folks at One Bone, at OneBoneBrand.com, and at OneBoneBrand on Twitter and Instagram. New drops came out last week. New every everywhere pants. New anniversary Michael anniversary t-shirt. It's you know, you know how it is. The gear's phenomenal. Just go check them out. Tell them I sent you ESK20 at checkout for 20% off. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're on YouTube, happy to be back. Pumped to be back. Gonna deal with this raspy voice. Gonna get out of here. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.